Do you want healthier relationships? More intimate sex? Sometimes we have to get closer to ourselves to get close to others. Let's talk on Intimate Interactions. Go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon to unlock every second episode of this podcast as well as tons of premium content. Welcome to Session 7, Anger and Masculinity. If you're a masculine person as I frequently am, anger is sometimes frightening to others, especially if they've seen masculine violence, which is likely. In today's episode, we'll ask guiding questions like, where is it safe to express and process anger, or is your anger productive, useful, directed appropriately, and from your immediate situation? We'll discuss strategies and share anecdotes. I've also attached links to books that we discuss in the podcast, some of which were life-changing for me, and to the Adverse Childhood Experience, or ACE survey. Links are also provided to the CDC resource page dedicated to ACE survey results. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Levi, a gender non-binary queer who works at a harm reduction housing place. You've worked there for years? Yeah, about seven years now. Awesome. And you've done some facilitation work as well? Yeah. Cool. And you'd mentioned that you were involved in a monthly men's group. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I'm really excited to dive into that, but I also wanted to mention um, that you're a volunteer counselor. So you do some nonprofit sliding scale work through, you just said a nonprofit in Victoria? Yeah, I just finished their like one year training program to become a volunteer counselor. And I just got my first client like the other day. So it's That's exciting. Wicked. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do counseling at Dragonstone, and they also do sliding scale, so it's it's super appreciated for yeah. lower socioeconomic folk, like kind of myself. I mean, obviously, I have more than a lot, but yeah, income is still a thing, and it's still very challenging sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm super honored to be a part of an organization that is like creating a resource for people who can't otherwise afford it and who really need it. So yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. So are you down to talk about, um, let's talk about your men's group first or is yeah. it yours or are you just, did you start it or how? Oh, you I'm involved? super happy to talk about that. So in Victoria, there's an organization called the, uh, men's trauma center. And, um, I, I mean, I came out as non-binary <clears throat> probably like five years ago or something like that, four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And part of that process was sort of like disconnecting myself from anything that was like about men. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've sort of d- I distanced myself from a lot of resources that would, you know, be right. tailored for men. Um, and then, you know, this is kind of part of a lot of the gender stuff for me, but I've kind of sort of softened around that and just decided that I wanted to get the help that I needed. And then a big part of the reason that I didn't want to be a part of a men's group was because I'm simply terrified of them. Yeah. Not that I can't identify with them at all. You know, they're human beings. Of course, I can identify with them. Sure. So I, I went to this 10-week trauma group at the Victoria Men's Trauma Center, mm-hmm. and it was super powerful. And near the end of the group, the guys were all sad about it, like, ending. And they, like, you know, mm-hmm. this was something that they had. They, this was a sense of community and belonging that they'd never really found before. Mm-hmm. And so I took the opportunity to start, um, like, my own men's group just for those guys mm-hmm. so that we could continue doing some of that work. And it's been super powerful and cool and they're really appreciative and it's been really, really great. That's awesome. Yeah. I definitely resonate with the idea of being scared or uncomfortable of being around men just, Mm. just because, um, well, I mean, one, all the bullying all throughout high school about not being manly enough or this or that, or, I mean, every, I mean, a lot of people do get bullied, but there's, there's definitely an edge to gendered bullying. Um, Mm -hmm. and especially when it's something that you're not set in or super comfortable being fixed in yeah and I never felt comfortable in my gender like ever all through high school it wasn't until like I became an adult and just kind of came to a place of acceptance of like 
I don't fit. I'm just different and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But like that, that took a bit and I definitely made the same kind of step away from traditional masculinity. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, um, resonate with that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. Cool. So speaking of that crazy ride, so I love, mm-hmm. I love that you're mentioning, um, taking steps and, and just in case anyone listening doesn't already know, um, we're focusing primarily today on anger and I have a set of questions and have changed the format a little bit mm-hmm. so that hopefully we'll be a little more on topic, but I'm, I also love the meandering podcast format. So we'll, we'll see how it works out. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so the first question was, um, what's your experience of anger? Cause I'm I know you've done a lot of work on this and I'm curious to get an informed perspective on what your experience has been like in mm-hmm. hopes that it's helpful for someone else. Anger, um, for me, as far as like a bodily sensation, it, mm-hmm. it feels like there's a fire that is like, uh, the sort of like, a, yeah, like this sort of turbulent fiery energy that is like mixing and churning mm-hmm. in my stomach. And as mm-hmm. it boils up, it sort of boils up through my core through my chest and like into my throat and it just wants to basically go from that churning building through my body and it wants to come out of my mouth and it wants to come out in like a fury and it sort of can even move through you know the 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 hands and the arms and it Mm -hmm. and it it's extremely powerful and intense and so my experience of anger is something that um in reality is something that i've experienced very rarely today Mm -hmm. but I think back to when I was a kid in school and was getting bullied a lot (laughs) um I was labeled as like the spaz you know because I was super I was really emotionally reactive Mm -hmm. and because I was being socialized as a boy um I learned pretty quickly that the only appropriate way for me to express my emotions was through anger right um even though I was what I was experiencing was like deep sadness yeah. You know, like feeling excluded or abandoned or isolated. Um, but I remember just like, yeah, like every, every, every sort of cell in my body just be like boiling and being on fire and just wanting to punch and scream. And just, um, I was a really problem child. I would get in trouble and my principal would be trying to bring me back to the office and I would be like punching and kicking him. And, wow. um, yeah, I just had a really, really hard time getting along with kids growing up and had a lot of issues at home. So anger was just like a really, really vicious and intense thing in my life. And I see now that it came from a lot of really deeper emotions mm-hmm. um, that were not able to be expressed. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what my experience of anger is like. It, it's not That's not to say that it never comes up for me. I sure. was thinking about it, like when reading through those questions. And, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, one of my managers at work. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe there's a difference between anger and hatred. Oh, that goes both <laughs> very strong. I, th- I think there is a difference between anger and hatred. Well, so when I think about this, like manager, um, I, yeah, I hate him so much. <laughs> And there's there's this sense of anger toward him, and I feel a lot of those same sort of bodily um, mm-hmm. sensations mm-hmm. Um, when talking about him or thinking about him. Okay. Um, 
And for clarity for people listening, I in, in the questions, um, I didn't get to it, but I, the next one is, if it's safe to do so, feel free to think about an experience that you had where you were or are angry. So that's... Oh, yeah. So I'm gonna, I you're got, actually perfectly flowing along the prompts. Yeah, well, I got I got this situation, actually, which is it's interesting. It was challenging. It was scary. So um, my... My experiences of at work have been challenging lately. Mm-hmm. There have been some stuff, some challenges with management, and actually recently got demoted from a position that I had okay. um, for uh, a mistake that I'd made around medication administration. Okay. Um, and in my judgment, it was a very minor mistake that anyone could make, and they really um, threw the book at me, mm-hmm. and they nearly like fired me for it. So anyway, I'm at I'm on like thin ice with my current sure. employer. Um, sure. And so I had this experience at work where there's a particular coworker who is especially kind of reactive and kind of pissy and gets overwhelmed and takes it out on people. Is in Got my you. judgment a pretty toxic person. Got you. And she. Um, yeah, it's just really, really hard to be around, especially in an already really kind of intense working environment. Like I work with, um, really marginalized and really sort of like, um, we work with people who live like really chaotic lives and are really sort of emotionally expressive and chaotic. And so there's already a lot of that stuff going on. Right. And so this is a particular day at work where, you know, I was... Uh, filling in for a coordinator so I had a lot of extra responsibility and I was feeling overwhelmed and she was just doing her thing being kind of uh, pissy and um, taking it out on people and um, you know she was stressed out because there was a lot going on and at one point she was like Levi come and help us unload this food and she's like not my superior or anything like that she's just like if anything I was the coordinator like if anything I had a bit of whatever but and I was like, oh, whatever. And cause I can be pretty, like, I'm pretty passive for the most part. Like my baseline mm-hmm. is pretty passive. I don't, I'm not like mm-hmm. a defiant person. And so I was just like, oh, whatever, fine. I'll just go help him, you know, bring this food. In. And then I, um, I could see walking up that there was already three other people who were helping unload this food. And I had a bunch mm-hmm. of other things to do, which were really time sensitive. And I was just like, no, I'd like, I don't need to do that. It's being taken care of. And I was just like, I just turned around to walk back into the building and she's like, Levi, what are you doing? Help us. And I was like, no. <laughs> sure. And she, I was so frustrated by how much she was like um, trying to order me around mm-hmm. and um, basically barking at me to do things that were not necessary for me to do in that very moment that I couldn't understand why they were important to her. And so I walked back into the lobby of the building and I felt so, I felt that surge of anger of that energy rushing through my body mm-hmm. and it moved through you know, my core and out through my body and it came out in a fist and I punched the wall in the lobby. And I didn't put a hole in the wall or anything like that, but I just yelled, fuck, and I punched the wall and immediately said, sorry. <laughs> Nobody could see me in that space, but there were people in the office kind of next to the lobby and I just kind of went into the building and I think I went into the back and I freaked out because I was like, I have... I'm on like a, I'm on thin ice with my employer. Basically, if I do anything that's worthy of disciplinary action, 
um, I'll be terminated. Right. Which is really scary. And so I acknowledged right away that like my aggressive response mm-hmm. was not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a really intimidating um, action to do in the workplace, yeah. to punch a wall as like, you know, yeah. especially as like a masculine presenting person. Totally. You know? Um, so I immediately acknowledged that it was like super inappropriate and got scared that it was going to like result in me potentially getting terminated from my job. So it was a really yeah. scary moment. And I immediately contacted my manager and just said like, Hey, this is what happened. I punched a wall. I just want to let you know that I acknowledge that it's inappropriate. And we ended up talking about it. He said, don't worry about it. Like you're taking responsibility and you know, Nothing's going to come of it. Don't worry about it. That's great. Yeah. And so I ended up speaking to a coworker about it later that day, who was also a roommate and a close friend. And I told her about it. And I said, you know, this thing happened. And I got really frustrated. And I punched a wall. And she was really shocked. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I'm really surprised to hear that you, like, had an aggressive response. Like, you're not an aggressive person. Like, I don't see you as an angry person. Mm-hmm. And it was really... I was really almost shocked to hear someone validate and say that they don't see me as an angry person. Mm-hmm. And it was just this really interesting moment where I was able to sort of really see, I guess, like how much work I've done around anger and how mm-hmm. like one of my closest friends that I've had for maybe the last five years was shocked to see that I had any kind of aggressive or angry response at all. <laughs> um, That's so I win. guess it just kind of shows like how far I've come. Yeah. And... So that's one example. That's a really current example of like how anger can still come up in my life. And I'm really honored and grateful that it's not something that I, that I deal with a lot anymore as a result of the interesting experiences and work that I've done Mm -hmm. with myself. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's a, sounds like a super vulnerable story. Yeah. It was scary. (laughs) Yeah. I can, I can, that's something that's really fascinating about, about anger. You mentioned earlier the way that men are conditioned and socialized Mm -hmm. to express their hurt as anger. Yes. I thought that was a really neat puzzle piece. And Mm. then, um, yeah, bringing it back to the notion of, of scary. It's like, I didn't find I got the socialization to process emotions at all. Really? Yeah. It was just, um, either, either really aggressive or violent words that I felt mm-hmm. got used against me in mm-hmm. my household or, or occasionally much, much less commonly in my household, physical violence again was used mm. against me. But mm. when I, when I look at that sort of socialization around, here's how we express our disagreement. Something that's been coming up for me in counseling has been this idea of a duty or expectation of repair that mm. if something goes wrong in a relationship that that humans feel comfortable or confident that at some point they'll have a conversation mm-hmm. and they'll they'll be able to repair that relationship. Okay. The notion that the people that we connect with want to be connected to us and that even when there is some disconnect or break that that there is the ability to repair. Mm. <clears throat> so I feel like in my in my upbringing I didn't get a strong sense that there is a desire to always repair relationships. Sometimes mm. it was just piling negative on negative mm-hmm. and it was just sort of a well we're family we're stuck with each other rather yeah. than i want to i want to have a really healthy good relation i mean i'm sure there was a great deal of desire i don't mean to like trash my biological no family. not at all it's just a question of um whether the coping skills were there whether my, my parents necessarily had those coping skills so yeah. that all kind of ties back into this fear of experiencing emotions that yeah. there's this fear of loss of people there's a fear of loss of status there's a sense of shame that comes mm-hmm. up for me when i 
experience um, anger. So mm-hmm. all those pieces kind of tie into what you were saying about, oh, I felt really angry. I was afraid of the consequences of what mm-hmm. happened when I when I visibly displayed that anger, yeah. way, especially as a mask presenting person. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, there's no question in there. I was just no, kind not of... at all. It just got me thinking about um, sort of how I think that um, anger shifted for me throughout mm-hmm. my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that for a large portion of my teen years, um, my father wasn't really around. Um, and I was mostly raised, not even just my teen years, like the large part of my, my youth and my upbringing, Mm -hmm. my father wasn't around very much. Um, and so I was primarily raised by my mom. Sure. And my mom was a really, really raw and emotionally expressive person. Mm -hmm. So I got to see a wide range of emotions through my mom. And I sort of, I think that I basically, I learned through being raised by my mother, um, how to express my emotions, uh, in ways beyond anger. Um, that's really positive. Yeah. And I think, I think it came early. I think there was this, er, in my early teen years, I recall sort of feeling this sort of sense of identity almost around being, being a, being a, a boy and having emotions and wanting or feeling as though that that was okay. Like seeing that the sort of cultural narrative right. was that it's not okay and believing that, that, that that wasn't true. So when I was pretty young, there was like, for me, there was a pushback and a sense of like wanting to create a bit more of an identity around being like, no, I think it is okay for boys to have emotions. I am. I totally like that resonates with me a lot. I definitely had a lot of like, this is garbage. As I was growing (laughs) up, like that thought kept crossing my mind when people were like, um, I was a very defiant child. Like people would, would tell me something. And because there was some gaslighting present in my home from a very young age, it always became a why, like prove it. Yeah. Like, why do you think that? It, sure. it was extremely, and, and partly I have my father to thank for that, that mentality of just questioning everything. He was really right. positive and encouraging in that specific regard of just, yeah. Yeah. Like why? So when don't accept started, things for just what, like for what people say they are, like really be inquisitive. But you said that that kind of came from gaslighting. Like it kind of yeah. came from like uh, an inherently abusive or toxic thing. With my, with my mom specifically. Okay. Because there was, um, there was definitely a lot of struggles for her, um, mm-hmm. like even emotionally, just even after giving birth to me, she had postpartum depression and then, right. and that kind of just transformed into other things. I mean, I want to be mindful of not speaking my interpretation of her story as if it were her story in any confirmed way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a lot of like emotional challenge clearly. And, and often that got taken out on yeah. other people. And when the truth was not comfortable enough for her, I felt the truth just changed. And that became extremely difficult to deal with. So that, that notion of I'm safe if I question, I'm safe if I, if I reason through this, mm. was instilled in me at a very young age. Mm. So when it came to gender, people would just start saying things about how I should be behaving or right. what wasn't appropriate or I would get shamed for a thing. And I'd be like, what a trash idea. Like, <laughs> I was just so adamant that it was... Yeah. You're like, I don't believe in that. Yeah. Like, that's just garbage. You have no reasoning behind it. I refuse to acknowledge that that's yeah, a thing. Yeah. Well, so what year were you born in? 86. Okay, so I was born in 1990. So there's not a huge, like, we've definitely grew up in, like, a similar time. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can't help but feel like as time has moved along, there has been more space created for men to express a full range of emotions. I hope like so. My, I really like, my, like, my socialization 
and my experience of growing up being sort of having uh, you know, the man gender and boy gender imposed on me sure. has been much different than like my father's and my father's father. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's this curiosity about like to sort of really acknowledge like how things have been shifting. Like certainly we have a long way to go, but there's like huge, huge strides happening like where people are having conversations that have never really been had before around yeah. gender and around masculinity and around manhood um, that I'm really inspired by. Um I kind of lost my train of thought. Can we break really quick? Yeah. Cool. Um, here, just give me one second. I sec. just want to go have a cigarette really quick. No problem. I I haven't done that. Okay, and we're back. We were talking about conversations around masculinity happening for kind of the first time or at least more encouraged than before. Well, I'm remembering now that um, growing up with um, emo music, Oh, was yeah. something that actually gave me another <clears throat> another sort of lens okay into sort of like men and masculinity and how um how like anger like how like sadness um and that and the expression of sadness was something that was sort of modeled to me through a lot of the email music that I was listening to so you had like these grown men who were making really really uh, emotionally expressive music that yeah. encompassed a lot more than just simply anger. Like there was a, there right. was, there was a lot of sadness in it. And so I'm remembering now that that was definitely part of my sort of evolution or journey through emotions as like a young man. Um, it's great to hear that because mm-hmm. typically when I think about emo music, I don't think this is really important for helping young men grow their emotional <laughs> vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of like really uh, troubling and problematic aspects of sure. like men and emo music as well. Cause there was a lot of like kind of toxic mm-hmm. narratives around like relationships and sort yeah. of like what women owed them. And the reason that they were sad usually <laughs> oh, was because goodness. women weren't giving them what they, what were they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there was some pretty like toxic, sort of stuff involved in that as well. Yeah. No, I, I resonate very strongly with that. I think I grew up listening more to like Metallica and, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably because I just didn't really discover angsty emo music. Right. Um, so I just ended up being more of like a, in fact, I didn't really listen to very much music to be honest. It right. wasn't really until like grade 12 when I just started listening to music and then it tended to be like Godspeed You Black Emperor or Silver Mountain Zion, like very like, experimental ambient music that I could do homework and listen to. Right. Yeah. Well, even like, yeah, I, I remember really liking Metallica as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember watching this like VH1 making of, uh, <laughs> this, uh, of Metallica's, I think it was like the black album. Sure. And, uh, there's that song, nothing else matters. Yeah. And he's which ta- is a love song. Yeah. And he's Hetfield wrote it for, um, yeah. Anyway, his current, on. yeah, he was, he wrote it for his current partner yes. at the time. And, and it was a really, really emotional kind of emo song. Totally. And I remember thinking that that was really cool because, you know, obviously Metallica um, is like a very sort of like, you know, it's a metal sort of mm-hmm. um, hyper-masculine sort of angry music. And yeah. then you've got a song like Nothing Else Matters that's like, one of the and lines is like, I've never, it. I've never opened myself this way. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel feels. Yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of came out with St. Anger. I didn't really follow. Like, that wasn't a natural progression for me, and I kind of dropped yeah. off listening to them. Yeah, I think I did too. Cool. So we talked a lot about anger, um, and we talked about um, 
the experience of anger physically you talked about Mm -hmm. like the swirling vortex i was wondering if that related to any like tension in any muscles or if you ever experienced like trembling sweating heart rate that kind of thing um yeah definitely like elevated heart rate Mm -hmm. um just yeah like a sense of sort of because it was like a very fiery sort of feeling there was like warmth and sweating and like Mm -hmm. things like that yeah i think for me i definitely experience it in my face my head and my throat a lot Mm, more mm -hmm. it was really cool to hear you talk about it because you were talking about all these sensations in your stomach and your core and for me anger is like it's a very abstract emotion it doesn't feel grounded in my body or Mm. maybe i'm just dissociated from the parts of my body that are grounded in anger Mm. but i definitely feel more like of that rising sort of feeling um i notice it in like my upper chest a little Mm -hmm. and then i really notice it in my throat and then i don't just feel it like in the lower parts of my face where i normally experience like shame and embarrassment i Mm. feel it like right up to my forehead oh wow yeah it almost like comes erupting out of the top of my head (laughs) yeah yeah it's a neat sensation in by which i mean slightly terrifying and and i experience a lot of shame tied into a tied into that yeah i'm curious what the quality of your thoughts are on anger well i think it's important to note that like based on my my understanding of anger is that like anger is one of those emotions that i believe is always secondary mm-hmm. um anger doesn't just anger doesn't just show up as it doesn't just come from it doesn't it's not like there's an experience or a stimulus and then you're angry it's like right. even if you don't notice it happening anger is always like a response to some sort of like deeper um emotion typically like um fear or sadness mm-hmm. um and so the question was oh just what the quality of your thoughts right are. so the thoughts often are those kind of sad, scared thoughts. Right. Right. So the thoughts are around like, you know, do I, do I, do I belong? Am I being, am I being respected or am I being included? Mm -hmm. Um, And then sort of a a lot of the self-critical thoughts, the self-loathing, the self-hatred. Um, and you tend to experience these thoughts while you're still angry. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think that's what's underneath of the anger is basically this like fear and this hurt and this, mm-hmm. um, this overwhelming sense that like, I'm not good enough totally. and that I'm not worthy and that my position in my community or in my world is, um, becoming less relevant or, sure. you know, like I'm. I'm at risk of being abandoned or yeah, excluded in some way. That's such a great sentiment. I'm so, mm-hmm. I'm, I just, I'm so happy to hear you put it into words because it's something that I haven't quite been able to put my finger on, but that notion of fear of abandonment. Yeah. I definitely experienced that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big one for me. I mean, that was, um, the sort of model of love that I had growing up was really inconsistent mm-hmm. and I did experience, like I had a father, a father who wasn't really there and a mother who was really depressive and so she was really dissociated a lot of the time so my understanding of like love and belonging from a really young age was associated with not feeling loved and not feeling like I belong right even in my home unit um that was also my experience yeah and I think it's common um and I think it's important to sort of like our recovery through like mental health challenges or whatever it might Mm -hmm. be to acknowledge, I guess, like what I would call, um, initial injury, 
like where does it all come from like what is the um you know what are the adverse childhood experiences yeah which are typically stimulated when we're in sort of a present day emotional response uh those aces <laughs> yeah um that was a depressing study the ace study i like i remember reading about it in what's the name of that book uh it's like childhood disrupted i think mm. anyways it's it's essentially just a book that's all about the ace study and like how adverse childhood experiences impact health outcomes and how you can't take physical health outcomes and look at a healthcare system and just ignore the mm. psychological history of an individual because they're so intimately connected. Mm -hmm. And yet, even though modern research makes this really clear connection that it's extremely important to your physical health to have an understanding of your, of your mental wellness and so on and so forth, we still have this strong division academically between the two fields mm -hmm. so that no one really reads the research of the other field. So you have, mm -hmm. except for perhaps psychiatrists would be the only link. Right. Yeah. But it was depressing just because the um, health outcomes were terrible. Yeah. It was like, I, I was at something like a, a 500, it, it was something insane, like 500% increase of depression. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like I yeah. kind of deal with chronic depression mm -hmm. um, just for like the number of ACEs I had. That's what's crazy about the study. It's so non-granular. Hmm. Like the ACE survey, have you ever looked at this? No, I don't think I have. So the adverse childhood experience survey, I'm man, I'm going to have to source some links <laughs> for this podcast. Um, but the, the survey was neat. It was like eight or 10 questions. I read this a while ago, so I'll have to get the hammer out some specifics. Um, but yeah, it's like eight or 10 questions. Like, did you experience this type of thing in your childhood? It's literally like, did you experience it at all? It's hmm. not how much did you experience it? Hmm. It's just, did you experience it period? So right. it's super non-granular. And then they're just only 10 questions. Wow. And you just answer those 10 questions. And they're like, cool. Did you get five aces or more? Great. You're in the highest risk bracket. Wow. Um, but interestingly enough, zero aces was not the lowest risk bracket. Hmm. Um, it wasn't about whether or not you had these adverse experiences so much as did you get a little bit of adverse experience and did you have the resources to cope healthily? Right. So it really comes back to being empowered with resources. And I think that might even be true for people who have significantly more ACEs. Did they get the resources? Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of people who experience like significant trauma in their lives yeah. from a really early age and their experience as adults is drastically different because in those times they had the support that they needed to move through it. Totally. Um, and yeah, like you, it's funny cause like when you, I, a few years ago I went to rehab uh, cause I was struggling with like substance addiction and mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in my early days in rehab really trying to convince people that like I wasn't fucked up enough to need the help that was being offered in that particular facility. And I had this sort of imposter syndrome around like, this isn't the place for me. Like I'm not worthy of the support. And a lot of it had to do with like hearing about people's stories and the things that they dealt with in their childhood where I would be like, I would, you know, look at that and be like, see, that's, that's a person whom deserves and needs this kind of support. Um, and I'm not, I'm not one of those people because my, it's like, oh, the worst thing I have is that, like, daddy wasn't really around and mom was sad. So it's like, I, you know, I was never beaten and I was never sexually harmed or anything like that. So it's, it was really easy to um, dismiss the other forms of. Yeah. And but when I think about everything that I went through and the significance of it paired with the lack of support that I had, mm. the lack of even just friends, like I didn't really have any friends until like high school so I was totally isolated yeah. and I didn't have community and so I wasn't getting what I needed at home and I wasn't able to get it elsewhere 
And so, of course, that's going to give me a significantly more sort of traumatized experience. Yeah. And going to leave me with a lot more sort of injury in that respect. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, inconsistency of affection as well is a really Mm -hmm. big one because there was, and again, I'm so sorry to be talking about quote-unquote research without having like Mm -hmm. it in front of me. Just my Mm -hmm. science training is like, don't don't talk about things like you know what you're talking about if mm-hmm. you don't have like the physical thing right in front of you and you aren't quoting directly. So apologies right. to anyone who's science-minded <laughs> listening. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that's come out in research, again, very amorphously recently, mm-hmm. about um, inconsistency of attachment and the ability to turn off your, your panic response. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like if you don't have any kind of that, that bedrock emotional safety mm-hmm. from a consistent loving provider, yeah. if it's inconsistent, there's always like a resting level of panic or fight yeah. or flight. You just have this activation that sort of you carry with you through the days. Yeah. And that kind of inflammation and that kind of, of active response to stress is incredibly draining and damaging on the yeah. body. Um, over time, uh, it's, it's interesting too because it affects people differently based on their supposedly hormonal environment. Sure. So like um, females and males tend to respond differently, whereas right. like females tend to get um, IBS more frequently than males do mm. as like a long-running inflammatory response to just being stressed all the time, for lack right. of a better term. But sure. it, it all comes back to not being able to turn your stress response off and come to a place of rest. And the typical um, ways of addressing that that they've sort of come to in the research is mindfulness-based stress reduction is one. Mm -hmm. So like being able to um, concentrate or um, meditate and bring yourself down to a really calm, low energy state Mm -hmm. and and just retraining your body that that's a state you can go to Mm -hmm. and just learning, oh, like this resting level of of anxiety or stress or depression that I've just sort of been coasting at of just Mm -hmm. being morose or uncomfortable that's not as low as this goes. I can actually pull that down a little bit and mm-hmm. be in a calmer, more grounded state. Yeah. 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 It's making me think about, um, the ways in which I have learned to sort of process emotion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like only until recently, I really didn't, I can't say that I had a very healthy response to emotion. Like sure. The things that I was doing that were healthy were like, you know, reaching out to a supportive person in my life and sort of just, um, processing what I'm going through and like seeking the support that I needed. Um, but aside from, aside from just getting support, which is like, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, but if I wasn't able to find support in another person, I would just sort of employ like any number of like distraction mechanisms. And a Mm -hmm. lot of that ended up looking like addictive patterns with alcohol or drugs or sex or relationships, um, or food. Food is a big one for me. Um, so recently, like I, I started seeing one of the counselors at work. I've been in, I've been in therapy and in counseling for many years, but I started seeing this particular counselor who was really, um, focused on sort of like the experiential, um, aspect of emotions where, you are really sitting with them and you're noticing where they're coming up in your body. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. the language to describe how anger felt for me. Right. Until, yeah. until, until working with that particular counselor. And so I would be, you know, like my experience of counseling was to basically sit there and just like, um, spin my tires and just kind of rant and like have these like really like analytical, um, sort of processing sessions where I'm just kind of spinning around in my head and like, it was good right. to get that stuff out, but it wasn't necessarily getting any, getting me anywhere. Like right. I would come out of those sessions just kind of feeling like I spun my tires for an hour. Mm-hmm. 
And so with this counselor, you know, we'd be talking about something and I'd be ranting and sort of in this really like analytical kind of heady place. And she would stop me and be like, oh, like, where did, like, you said that you you felt frustrated. Like, can we sit with that for a moment? Like, do you feel that right now? Right. And I remember when she started doing that work with me, I was like really, really confusing and challenging. Sure. Because I didn't, I feel like I'd spent my whole life trying to disconnect myself from my emotions because they were so overwhelming. And then there was this added thing of the idea of like noticing where emotions were in my body, like connect, like, you know, connecting my head to my body was really challenging because I also dealt with like a lot of chronic digestive problems and a lot of chronic sure. pain sure. throughout my youth. And so I actively worked to disconnect my mind from my body so that I didn't yeah. have to struggle with my chronic pain as badly. So I'm sitting there in these counseling sessions being encouraged and invited to um, connect to my bodily uh, experience of emotions. And it was extremely hard. And there was only like a few moments within like a year of counseling where she was doing that work with me where I could really, really connect to something and feel it. And these really, and this really beautiful thing occurred, you know, the first time I ever was able to really connect to an emotion. I think the emotion was like shame or self-loathing or something like that. And she just sort of invited me to close my eyes and kind of go into that feeling and describe sort of what was going on for me and it was it became the sort of like visual thing where I was I was like I'm sitting in a cave and I feel alone and lost and isolated and afraid and was just sort of describing like what the cave looked like and yeah just like my experience inside of it and through talking about it and feeling it ultimately in that moment I'm just sitting there feeling a feeling like consciously feeling a feeling and really really sinking into it mm -hmm. which is something that is hard to do because there's this fear that well if I actually allow myself to feel <clears throat> then there's a possibility that I won't be able to come out of it like there's this there's this fear that if I yes. feel what I'm feeling I'll get stuck in it because I mean that is like that fear makes sense when you experience a lot of depression you yeah. Look like if you've experienced long bouts of depression, you know what it's like to get stuck in a supposed feeling. Yeah. Um, and so in these sessions, I'm like connecting to these emotions. And the beautiful th thing that occurred that first time was feeling something, really sitting with it, having a container created for me with this counselor where I mm -hmm. could feel reassured that, you know, I'm not going to get lost in that feeling. And then having that experience of basically process for the first time processing a feeling where yeah. I sit with it long enough that it actually moves through me and that I don't actually have to run away from it or distract from it or suppress it. Yeah. I can just allow these things to exist in my body, sit with them, breathe through them mm -hmm. and come out the other end feeling calm and yeah. peaceful. And that was what I experienced that first time. She would you sort of ask me after we did that work, like, how are you feeling now? And I was like, I feel really peaceful. I feel mm -hmm. really calm. And that is, I, I've known for a long time that that's like the work that I need to be doing. I need to be learning how to feel my emotions. But the stuff that was happening with my counselor, like was, wasn't really, it wasn't getting me there. Right. Like, I still had a lot of stuff to, stuff to process, like mm -hmm. on an analytical kind of heady level. Okay. And she gave space for that for sure. And a lot of the time she would try to bring me back to like, let's feel that. And I would just like really, really struggle to get into it. Yeah. Um, 
that's actually the approach that my current counselor is taking because mm-hmm. um, my regular counselor is away for a couple months so mm. i've gone to like a relief counselor essentially like a, right. a different person that's stepping in for like a weekly sessions for a couple months mm-hmm. and um they're, they're really confident that the piece they can give me is more of a somatic connection to my feelings mm. and i mean i resonate a lot with what you're saying um in terms of like imposter syndrome in treatment the first time i went in to get counseling at chemo crisis center which is like a suicide intervention crisis mm-hmm. center um literally on the intake form it's like why are you here and i was so incapable of describing it i just put down to find out why i'm here um which yeah. like usually is a pretty good indication you probably need the services sure and i just remember being just feeling guilty because it was it was free counseling which is amazing but you know for suicide intervention it's really useful to have free counseling yeah um people are often not super grounded in the notion of like budgeting or finance or like can i really afford to pay for this it's really just like either i have the cash in my pocket or i don't yeah so it was really amazing to have that as a free resource but um a partner of mine had just tried to kill herself Mm. um and i was 18 at the Mm -hmm. time so very very young and this Mm -hmm. was my first love ever and Mm. all of these just situations conspiring against me essentially not that that's actually the case but it's a that's what it felt like it certainly it certainly felt like everything was converging on this like impossibility Mm. of of me almost like this Mm -hmm. like there being no space in the world the sensation of being slowly squeezed out of existence it just really felt minimizing and just and i just felt so much shame about not being able to be a better more supportive partner Mm. and i'm sure there was some aspect of masculinity in that too possibly quite possibly Mm -hmm. um at at that point i was like so upset i wasn't really strongly processing it so Mm -hmm. quite possibly there was a large amount of masculinity being the protector being responsible um i was also the person that not so much earned money but spent all the money i had this large student loan and i was providing for both of us so yeah there's almost certainly an aspect masculinity good call yeah um so yeah so a lot of that um being really in my head not processing my emotions in my body um, not understanding sensations, not feeling a strong sense of worth, and also the imposter syndrome. I went into counseling and was like, I just really don't feel like I deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. And I just, as soon as you said that you didn't feel like you deserved the services, I was like, yeah, I've had that exact experience. Yeah. And literally my counselor, it was, it was a he, which was really helpful for me because mm-hmm. having like a soft role model of, of gentle masculinity, mm-hmm. of like nurturing masculinity yeah. um, was, was new to me. And that was really helpful yeah oh it's it's really helpful but Those... he said the uh sorry he said the uh, the people that needed the services most wouldn't access the services he said you know like i'm essentially i'm here now and i have the schedule i have and it's not full so don't feel like you're an imposition sure and yeah. it was a really clever way of disarming the whole it's okay if you don't feel like you deserve to be here but there are extra resources lying around it's like yeah. zoidberg if you're a futurama watcher a little bit yeah he says the um He's he's the I think he's the scaredy lion in the in the Wizard of Oz right. parody, and he all all the characters are being asked what they want, and he's like, if you had some spare courage, I could haul it away for you, maybe. <laughs> it's just it's such a perfect. Like, if you had some spare courage, maybe I could just haul it away for you. Like, yeah, let's just get the, I'll get it out of your way. <laughs> I'm not I'm, I wouldn't be worthy of it if it wasn't in extreme abundance. But if you've got lots of it, like, I'll exactly. just it. Yeah. If that's, it's a nuisance to you. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll help you by taking this thing that I need. And we both are seeing that I'm just too fragile to ask for what I need. Yeah. But if it's helping you, I'll happily do this thing for you almost. Yeah. I'll help keep your schedule full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, doing, so doing that work with my, with my counselor kind of opened the door 
to this idea of like really processing emotions in a healthy way for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it was kind of only just barely scratching the surface. It was useful and it was necessary, but it wasn't getting me there. And it wasn't like, it wasn't the way out for me, I guess, or yeah. the, the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recently, um, came into contact with this really interesting uh, men's organization. Okay. Um, I won't name them because I'm probably going to say stuff about the organization that I'm not supposed to talk about as much. Got you. Uh, it's I'm still a little bit confused around some of their like sort of confidentiality sure. um, expectations. Um, but through some other men that I had, um, I, I went to this um, men's accountability conference okay. in Vancouver, and I met a guy there who told me about this organization and the work that they're doing. And I was really intrigued by it. And so I showed up to this like first group, uh, not really knowing what to expect. And it's hard to just, I, I, I struggle sometimes to truly describe like what these men are doing, but basically, um, what I walked into was this sort of men's circle where they are, they're doing a lot of stuff. Like they're doing, they do like an, they do like a, you know, a check-in, um, for every group, um, just to give everybody an opportunity to talk about what's going, what's like kind of, kind of active for them. And then there's, uh, an accountability round where you basically, um, are encouraged to talk about any kind of commitment that you made that you weren't, that you didn't follow through on or anywhere that you weren't in integrity in your life. Mm-hmm. And so you get to talk about that and then you're offered support to basically get back into integrity you know like what's one small thing you can do in the next week that'll get you back into integrity Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really beautiful and then after that so there's this round um, where we do like what's called clearings so we're in this circle and ideally we're we're trying to create like kind of like a safer space in the circle like hold a bit of a container with each other and so you're basically asked to take a breath and to think about whether or not there's someone else in the group that you're feeling what they call a charge Okay, with. sure. So if you're feeling anger towards someone in the group or just a sense of discomfort and it's holding you back from being able to really feel safe and comfortable in the circle, it's your opportunity to, to speak that. And so you basically say whether or not you're clear. And so you go around the circle, clear, clear, not clear, not clear, clear, clear. That's cool. Yeah. And so if you're the first person in line and you're not clear, they say, okay, well, who's the charge with? And you point at the guy. And then so you're brought into the middle of the circle. And okay. you stand in the middle holding this, like, staff. And you're staring into this guy's eyes. And they walk you through this process which ultimately helps you identify, like, what are you projecting onto this person that really has nothing to do with him uh, and more to do with something uh, inside of you or in your past. Um, so they, they ask, you know, like, what's the data? It's like, oh, when I walked in, you know, he, uh, uh, we were talking about, sure. you know, what we did on the weekend, and he kind of, and he laughed when I said what I sure. did. Sure, sure. Um, that's the data, you know, the sort of objective mm-hmm. um, information about the situation and then they ask you what are your judgments about the situation about this man and you you just unload and you're like i think he's an arrogant <laughs> fucking prick totally and i think he's pompous and i think he thinks he's better than me and the whole while you're saying all these things and you're looking into this this guy's eyes and he's he doesn't say anything they right. do this thing where they they basically tell you you know like put up your psychic shield 
so that you can sort of not right. internalize the things that this guy is saying right. to you and about you. And then so you say all of your like harsh judgments about this guy. And then um, they basically, they ask you like, what, who is behind him? Like, mm-hmm. what, what does this guy remind you of? Like, what, who, yeah. like who else, what is another thing or another person in your life that uh, is associated with these, that is uh, similar to these judgments that you have for this man? And for me, it always like comes back to my father. I'm like, oh, well, he reminds me of my dad. And then I sort of encourage you to kind of go into that and, and, you know, when feelings come up, they say, like, okay, like, can you can you sit with that feeling for a moment? And you're sort of encouraged to sort of just um, kind of close your eyes and just feel that feeling. And so we're usually, these groups occur in spaces where a lot of, like, noise can be made. So if necessary, you have an opportunity to, like, scream, scream amazing, yell, cry, whatever it is. So a guy will be standing there and he'll be thinking about, you know, the anger he has for his father, the hatred mm-hmm. he has for his father. And they'll be like, is there a noise for that that you want to use? And like, I'd be like, yep. <laughs> yeah, and just like, <laughs> and just like fucking scream. And then really just like let like release some of that energy. And then the facilitator will say, um, are you willing to basically um, stop projecting this stuff that's not associated with this man? onto him and at that point you've kind of really moved through it you've gained new awareness around like what's coming up for you mm-hmm. uh, and what you're projecting onto this person so it is easy to say like yeah i don't want to project this stuff onto this guy because it's got nothing to do with him and they mm-hmm. ask you like what do you want for this man you know you say like oh i want him to be well and i want him to be happy and then they ask you what do you want for your connection with this man and you're like well i want to know this man and i want to understand him and i want to i want to feel close to him i don't want to project my shit onto him i want to feel comfortable with him and then by the end of the exercise, you know, they, they, you know, it's, it's all in your court and you kind of do what you need to do. And I, I usually like, I've done a few of these clearings now. I did one just recently, mm-hmm. um, where like a lot of really intense feelings were coming up for me around this guy. And I would have, I would have held on to that for a fucking long time. Yeah. I would have felt uncomfortable around him. Yeah. Forever. Like he would have always been associated with this discomfort that you just avoided. Yeah. That I would just completely avoid and I would not feel comfortable in his presence and I would not be able right. to connect with him. But after doing this exercise, I'm able to look at this man with just such deep appreciation and gratitude that he was, that he held that, he, you know, he held stood there space, and held yeah. that space for me. And usually I just ask them for a hug and there's this like warmth where I'm like, wow, thank you for letting me do that. And like, now that I've processed what I'm projecting onto you, I feel like I can see you more authentically and in a more of a, a realistic place. That sounds like a really healthy um, exercise. Yeah, it's incredible. And so, like, that's just one sure. <laughs> exercise that these guys do in these groups um, that basically encourage men to feel their emotions. Um, and I talked a lot about sort of how that clearing can be associated with anger. But the facilitator would oftentimes sort of get you to sort of, um, depending on who the facilitator is, but like if I were facilitating something like mm-hmm. that, I would be encouraging um, the man to basically identify like what's underneath of the anger. Right. Like what is the primary emotion? Well, I ha- sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but um, on, on that topic of what are you feeling, I'm noticing how much the structure is really similar to nonviolent communication or mm-hmm. compassionate communication. Mm-hmm. Um, Marshall Rosenberg, I will write that one down as well yeah um but it's it's really similar because marshall rosenberg has um observations Mm -hmm. that are completely 
um, devoid of any judgments. It's yeah. just like factual data, like you said. Yeah. of What you would see on a screen right. if it was recorded. Like literally if a person that didn't know you were watching footage, how would they describe yeah. the objective things that are happening? Mm-hmm. That would be like step one of NVC. Yeah. And then step two is to connect that to internal feelings, not mm-hmm. projections on the outside world, but internal states. Mm-hmm. So the example I use is the difference between when someone says, I feel alone versus I feel abandoned. Mm. One of those has a, an assumption in it or mm. one of those, yeah, one of those requires an outside party to act. Mm-hmm. To be abandoned, there must be someone who has abandoned you, whereas to yeah. be alone can be an internal state. Yeah. Um, so there's a feeling and then after that comes, um, I believe, judgments. So I think the third stage. Observations, feelings, judgments. needs, and requests. Oh, is it needs and requests? Yeah. Where do judgments fit in? Is it just no judgments I don't think, and observations? I, I don't think that judgment plays into it. No, you're 100% right. It is yeah. needs and requests. You observe what's going on. Yep. You identify um, the feelings that are coming up around it. And mm. then from that, you identify a need. And then from your needs, you make a request that's yeah. optional. Yes. That's something a lot of people struggle with with NVC yeah. is like... Could you do this in the future? Uh, no. Wait, you're not doing NVC right. <laughs> it's like, no, you're doing it perfectly. I just yeah. have to deal with the fact that you're not a person who's going to meet those needs for me. Definitely. It's interesting how that, not to get too far off topic, but it's interesting mm-hmm. how that ties into monogamy because when you have mm. one person that's supposed to meet all these needs, when you have unmet needs, it's like, oh, I guess I have to compromise, which in yeah. certain structures you do. Yeah. Um, but moving back to what you were talking about with the men's group, so talking about judgments and observations, because observations are often talked about as being absent of judgments. Yeah, so, well, what I was actually going to say was that, because um, I was talking about how, you know, if I was facilitating and what I've seen some men facilitate within this group mm-hmm. is they will get you to identify, like, what emotion is underneath of the anger. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, something a counselor said to me once Um, because we were talking about anger and we were talking about healthy ways to express anger. And I'd said like, yeah, I know that like I could potentially like, um, you know, punch a pillow and scream into a pillow or something like that, that there's these like ways that I can express my anger in a physical way that will help me process it in a healthy way. And she challenged that. And she said, I don't, she's like in the research that I've done and the training that I've done, I don't believe that the way through anger is by expressing anger the way through anger is to identify what's underneath of it and to simply feel that, to feel and process that. Mm-hmm. So if it's, you know, yeah, it's that sense of abandonment or that sadness that's underneath of the anger and the judgments of the situation that you're in, if you can dip right into the sadness mm-hmm. and, and, gr- and you, you know, do whatever kind of like crying or grieving that needs to be done, that will ultimately diffuse that secondary emotion of anger you're actually getting to the core the root where that because i think at the core of a lot of anger for people is grief right like we don't really know how to grieve in our society i don't even know if that's necessarily a gendered thing i think yeah it is like more of a gendered thing i suppose as far as like expectations of men to to show uh, signs of grieving yeah and to to be yeah to be stoic and to be sort of like to keep their shit together like you don't you don't cry don't you know don't process you have to be strong for the community or for the family or whatever mm-hmm. um so i've noticed that through working with this organization like having these like masculine men showing <laughs> and processing emotions mm-hmm. has given me this new almost sort of like permission to to just feel to give space for that 
that I wasn't I wasn't getting that in my sort of one-on-one counseling sessions with like my woman counselor. Sure. Like there wasn't that sort of same permission or like yeah. space created where I, I was it was being modeled for me right. by these men that I was coming to really respect. Right. And so I noticed like in the first couple of weeks that I started going to this group, I had this one experience where something got stimulated for me at work and I don't even really remember what it was about, but I got really, really sad. And I had plans to hang out with a partner that night and I just gave her a heads up and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm still excited to see you, but I just need to let you know that I'm, that I'm feeling really sad. I'm struggling with some really, really dark feelings right now. And, um, just to give you a heads up and she was cool with that. And we ended up, I ended up going to her house and all I could, I was, I was so weighed down by what I described as this, as sense of sadness and grief. Um, and I ended up just sort of laying on her floor. Um, she, you know, she was like, can I do anything for you? And I was like, I was like, I kind of just need you to like, like leave me here on the floor. Like you do your thing. I think she just like laid on her bed and read. And I just laid there in the, in a, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was kind of a fetal position. And I just laid on the floor and I stared kind of into nothing, like kind of stared into space. And I just felt so sad. And for whatever reason, I was, you know, a, a, in a pre in a previous time, that is a feeling that I would have really tried to like get myself out of. I would have done something like eat a bunch of junk food, mm-hmm. um, binge watch Netflix, go on social media, like whatever it is, like some sort of distraction. I'm familiar with all of those. Yeah, to 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 get out of that feeling because it's so deeply uncomfortable. But there was this just. I think because I was, it was being modeled for me that there's, that it's okay to feel that I just, I was really, um, that influence was working on me. And so I just laid there and I felt my emotions for probably like two hours, just laying on the floor, maybe not that long, maybe like an hour and a half or something. And, you know, it was exhausting. And so by the time it was like time to go to bed. I was like, okay, I'm ready to pass out. And when I woke up the next morning, I felt light. Wow. I felt like I really moved through something. And so since then I've identified that what, what works for me when I have the space and time for it is that if a really challenging emotion comes up for me, if I'm able to give myself the space and it's, it's beautiful and, and, and exciting that I'm learning how to do this work on my own because a lot of my sort of emotional processing has been really, really dependent on other people. And I've burnt out a lot of connections and friendships in my life because I struggle so much and I don't know how to help myself. Mm -hmm. And so I rely on others, Mm -hmm. um, which has, yeah, burned out a lot of my connections and friendships over the years. Um, So to finally be in a place where I'm learning how to process emotions by myself and it, I don't know it's 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 really exciting and really beautiful and I'm super honored to like have yeah just to, to be on this journey and to have you know specifically interacted with this counselor and with this group and um, it's it's a funny thing like having identified as a very emotional and sensitive person for many many years like that's been a part of my identity mm-hmm. I think I was in my early 20s and I still identified as a man I got a tattoo on my leg that says it's a basically a, a bearded man, a uh, very masculine-looking man with a tear um, rolling down his cheek, and it says "Big Boys Cry Too." Mm-hmm. And this is this sort of like, you know, trying to 
claim a version of masculinity and manhood that included sadness. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful that my journey has led to this point now where I'm like, yeah, creating a sense of identity and creating space for myself to be an emotional person. And now being able to do a lot of that work more so by myself. Like I'm always going to need community support and I believe that we deserve community support Mm -hmm. from loved ones and people that uh, we feel close to. But yeah, it's really, really important to learn how to do some of that work alone so that you're not burning out your community. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've tended to get stuck and turn a lot of my feelings inward. So Mm -hmm. I tend to not move through emotions easily. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason, just in speaking with you, I'm I'm sort of mulling over my own experience of emotional mm-hmm. processing, um, is just shoveling more of that emotion onto the pile by reinforcing what I'm feeling with an internal monologue that's less than that's less than good. Kind. Yes, that's less than <laughs> kind. It definitely feels sometimes like I really need to just sanitize my internal monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, like get rid of all the toxic elements and that's mm-hmm. an ongoing process. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, part of the reason that I went to rehab uh, was because I w- had been going through a really, really devastating breakup mm-hmm. um, where actually at the, the, the breakup was basically like, um, you're toxic and emotionally abusive and I'm breaking up with you. And there was no real conversation or awareness around like me being emotionally abusive there had been no former conversation no I, just, you for I, it. I had no awareness of it mm-hmm. i don't know if she had awareness of it but it was never like something that was talked about sure so this four-year relationship ended with oh, you're emotionally abusive um breaking up with you don't contact me right. and that was over three years ago um but I, so at the time i was like whoa that's really big and went into this whole sort of journey of trying to understand like what 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 what, happened what happened like what what was this person seeing as being emotionally abusive and with the help of some really wonderful friends I was able to identify the behavior that was Mm -hmm. uh, toxic and abusive and so I started on that journey of sort of like trying to unlearn some of that toxic behavior but with every month that went by that this that that ex didn't contact me so that we could have some closure because I ultimately wanted to say like hey I recognize that it's true. I do have these toxic toxic behaviors, and I plan to you know be accountable mm-hmm. to that um, to those actions. And like, n- I don't have any expectations around you wanting to get back together with me, but I at least want some, some closure. closure, even just for you to know that I know. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it ended so abruptly and with such anger, I guess, on her part, which was really hard to sit with. So. Or perceived anger. Right. And I certainly struggle with that as well. Mm -hmm. So um, every month that went by that she didn't reach out to me, because she Mm -hmm. told me not to contact her, and the last thing I was going to do was like fucking (laughs) break that. that. Yeah, yeah, break that agreement and start messaging her or anything like that. But um, every month that went by, I sunk deeper and deeper into a depression, and my substance use got really, really bad. And um, my... My mental health experience is that of an extremely toxic and abusive internal dialogue. It's basically like there's this character inside of my brain that is trying to... Well, that's the thing. When you're in a... So it's like like being in an abusive relationship with yourself or with your mind. And so your mind is saying these really, really uh, intense 
and painful things like you're a piece of shit you know you're a garbage human no one's gonna love you you're gonna die alone Mm -hmm. you know you're basically worthless unless you do something about you unless you change yourself so there's at least, this at least you have that second piece unless you change yourself i well, find like sometimes i get to that point of like you're going to die penniless and alone on the street yeah. mentally unwell and it's just so overwhelming i mean that was the kind of narrative that i was coming to understand was that ultimately this was like part of my process of moving through and 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 dealing with that internal dialogue was to identify the feelings and the needs mm-hmm. behind the very violent language that my internal dialogue was using so i was kind of able to use nvc that's great to um to understand and work with that internal dialogue. So mm-hmm. when I was able to identify that that voice was ultimately trying to protect me from continuing on a path of being a piece of shit, because uh, <laughs> it was, it was like, you know, you have to change your entire life and do all these things or else you're going to c- continue to be a garbage human. Sure. Um, and so I, I, tr- I trusted and I believed that that voice had my best interest in mind because I was in a toxic and abusive relationship with myself and believed that that was like a reasonable way to influence or motivate somebody out of harmful behavior was to basically like be really mean to them about it (laughs) Um, and to not show compassion and to not show understanding and to not show care or love. Like that felt like, yeah, this, this, this thing's just trying to protect me and save me from myself. And so after about a, a year of listening to that voice and thinking that it was ultimately trying to protect me and save me I realized that it wasn't working that that mm-hmm. approach was actually only keeping me stuck and keeping me down and that I basically needed to break up with that abusive part of myself and so I was like uh, I was standing in my room in the treatment center and I remember my brain just started going off on me and I just internally yelled like, no, like no more. We're done. I'm not listening to you anymore. So much like my partner breaking up with me for being abusive and cutting me out. Mm -hmm. I kind of did that with myself and with that toxic um, narrative in my brain. I'm super curious to hear more about what happened after you (laughs) broke up with your toxic self. Because I feel like that part doesn't just dissolve and dissipate. No. How did you deal with that internal critic after you stopped listening to it? Well, a lot of it was like, for me, it was like being in recovery. I got really into AA and I started mm-hmm. doing the steps and connecting with that community. And it was really good for me. So I was surrounded with support. So when that um, abusive voice would come up again, I would typically reach out. That's a huge thing that's encouraged within... Um, 12 step communities is mm-hmm. to reach, reach out, out for help it's all about um, getting the help that you need and like letting people into your process um, and so I would reach out and I would get help and there was just a lot of work being done within that program that was hugely beneficial for me mm-hmm. and there's 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 so much stuff I I, I can't even really like I'm struggling to like really remember like what the hell have have I been doing right. that has gotten me to a place where I have a significantly more gentle and compassionate dialogue with myself. It was just like sh- it was like shame recovery. Yeah, and that's you know? a big piece for a lot of people. I'm still yeah. in shame recovery. Like I'm still struggling really hard with it, and so am I. Absolutely. <laughs> like it's 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 a lifelong challenge. That's what people say about recovery that you're never quite Exactly. It's never a 100% thing. You're always just a recovered addict. Yeah. You're just like always 
try to stay vigilant and be on top of your shit and figure out the program that works for you to stay on top of your shit. Right. Almost like the self-care regimen that works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm not connected with that community anymore um, and believe that there's uh, other communities doing different work that is more beneficial for me right now, in particular sure. that men's group. Sure. Um, I actually went to my old AA home group last night and was sitting, listening to people share and felt... I've, I've, I've really felt like that was not the space for me right now. It wasn't, it didn't feel productive for me. Which AA? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and that's not to say that it's not hugely beneficial and that it didn't save my life. Uh, it just, it doesn't resonate with me right now. Um, and so it was a good reminder that like I'm on the right path with these other communities that I'm engaging with and the other work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I will have to ask you for some resources that don't compromise the anonym anonymity anonymity wow, wow. anonymity thank you that was <laughs> I've a said C- it enough times being in the program <laughs> that was that was definitely a, a C anemone situation mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. anonymity right um, yes so that was awesome we covered a lot of stuff I'm still sort of processing it mm-hmm. um, a lot. <laughs> yeah we, we talked about the way anger can be gendered and tied into shame and all that stuff mm-hmm. Um, just as a person who has in the past used synonyms for mm-hmm. anger, there's, there's a balance between anger is a secondary emotion. What am I really feeling? Mm-hmm. And I'm so ashamed of feeling anger that if I admit I'm feeling anger, the shame will take over. Um, mm-hmm. so I'll say things like I'm feeling frustrated yeah. or that was a very aggravating experience. Like mm-hmm. I will almost use my vocabulary as a way to avoid admitting what I'm feeling is just straight up anger. Mm-hmm. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you had any advice for other individuals struggling with that i mean <laughs> anger is still a really complicated thing for me sure um part of being um a sort of a person who has been socialized in many ways as a man um part of unlearning um a lot of that stuff has been uh about really trying to step away from like that stereotype of like the angry man and in a lot of ways has resulted in me not giving any space for anger um Mm -hmm. which um sometimes look like looks like suppressing it and internalizing it or sometimes i feel like i have this way of i'll get angry with something at someone and my the sort of work that I've done around compassion and understanding just swoops in and just like um uh what's the word um like this this compassion and understanding comes in and basically just mm-hmm. diffuses the anger like I'll be like oh I feel angry and then compassion comes in and it's just like nope you are a compassionate and an understanding person but it doesn't even give me an opportunity to give space for that feeling that's coming up that's like a really real and valid feeling. I think that anger is a valid emotion. Um, and so in in the in the last little while I've almost been trying to like I have a hard time giving myself permission to feel angry. Um and so like the synonyms that I would that I would ultimately use for anger mm-hmm. oftentimes just look like me trying to go deeper. Okay. Right? Trying to uh, identify like the hurt or the grief or the sadness that's underneath of the anger. So I don't have a lot of words for anger. 
like you said, frustrated, mm-hmm. aggravated. Um, or like that was really irritating or that was ir- really unfair. Yeah, irritating. Um, yeah, it's like I don't have a language for anger. I try and be compassionate with myself now as much as possible in just acknowledging, okay, like I'm a little overwhelmed right now and Mm -hmm. I'm struggling a lot and it's reasonable. This is a hard situation. It's reasonable for me to be struggling a lot. Like I try and remember to give myself permission to just be where I am at sort of in my current emotional state. Well, the, the thing too is that I believe that anger can be a really, really, really useful tool. Tell me more. What information well, does anger give you? Well, I think that anger anger is useful. Well, the information it's giving you is basically like there's an underlying unmet need. Totally. Right? So it's. I think maybe Marshall says that like anger is a tragic response to an unmet need, but he maybe says that about a lot of different things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's anger. Maybe it is anger. Yeah, anger is a tragic response to an unmet need. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's telling you that there's, you know, a deeper unmet need mm-hmm. um, that deserves to be looked at. Um, but anger also has the capacity to really activate and energize, right? So certainly within the context of, um, like social justice, like there's a, there's a really necessary place for anger because there's a lot of things to be angry about. And if we're moving straight into compassion and understanding, there's not that fire and that juice to push through and really, really make a change and to make a stand and to do something about whatever your social cause is. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that anger can be really useful when you're, when, when people are trying to get out of an abusive situation, kind of like when totally. I broke up with my own abusive self, mm-hmm. you know, there was anger. I yelled, no, there was an aggressive response. You know, yeah. there was, that, that was how I needed to meet, um, that voice where, where it was at and ultimately like stop it in its tracks. Mm-hmm. Even in like, you know, trainings around like, uh, nonviolent crisis intervention. They they still they encourage you that when you're when you're dealing with a hostile person, you you have to raise your voice and you have to get on their level, or else they're not. If you're just standing there being like, yes, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, that must be very challenging. Like you have to be like, yeah, man, fuck this shit's bullshit. <laughs> right. And you got to get like, kind of like amped up and hostile too. So anger has the, like right meet them where they are. Absolutely. So yeah, I think that like anger has the capacity to move people through situations that other emotions wouldn't be able to like move them out of so Mm -hmm. it is still like a really necessary tool it's just that in our culture we don't have a lot of like healthy expressions of anger Mm -hmm. i certainly didn't have any modeled for me growing up yeah yeah oh man i don't know how that happened my brain jumps around so much i literally flashed to my mother watching hawaii 50 and all the representations of masculinity and Mm. anger in that show Mm. it was just a really neat like contrast to what we've been talking about (laughs) totally um wow so yeah we've covered a lot of really great information there's just like a couple of of last points i'm curious to get your perspective on sure i also wanted to just throw out there um that stereotype of that angry man thing yeah um it kind of hits me a little doubly because Mm -hmm. as a mixed race person i'm always concerned about being the angry poc as well sure so when i'm in spaces where something really unfair is happening or like because i do a lot of volunteering at metro vancouver kink Mm -hmm. there's always that like curiosity around like how can I approach this in such a way that I don't appear to be like the angry man of color even though I know yeah. that that's just me putting that on myself more than anything else yeah or society putting it on me rather rather than me taking responsibility for all of it yeah um, if you were trying to sit with anger um, rather than feed it to make it bigger or mm-hmm. force it smaller with other emotions do you have any strategies that you could share with everyone about mm-hmm 
how you help that anger move through you and out of you. And and I and I guess you kind of touched on this mm-hmm. with sitting with the underlying feeling mm-hmm. and just experiencing it. But I wanted to touch more on if you had any advice or strategies around helping emotions sufficiently run their course mm-hmm. without spiraling or without mm-hmm. continuously reinforcing those mm-hmm. emotions. Mm-hmm. I hear your question and I'm thinking about something different. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because what I'm thinking about right now... Sure, touch on it, yeah. ...is when is expressing anger a good and okay thing? Right, where there's like, safe what are safe spaces some, to what, be Yeah, angry. what are some contexts? So I remember you made a post not too long ago about um, being almost hit by a car. Sure. Were you on a bicycle or a motorbike? Or Yes, probably a motorbike. Yeah. And you had posted about how you'd had, an ag- you'd had a hostile and aggressive response. Yeah. Um, and that you were having a hard time processing that because that was something that you you didn't want to right. feel and to express. Like you ultimately didn't feel good about the anger, yeah. And you were questioning whether or not it was productive and useful. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was. Yeah, I think within that post, you basically the conclusion was that like in that moment, yes, it did make sense. Because in that moment, you needed that full aggressive charge in order to communicate to somebody, like, you almost killed me. You yeah. need to learn from this moment right now. Or you might actually kill a biker in future. Exactly. Like, in that moment, the expression of anger was productive, useful, and necessary and directed appropriately. You're not always going to get the opportunity to have, like, um, you know, a compassionate, mutually understanding conversation with somebody. Uh, on this, in the middle of an intersection. Mm-hmm. That's you know? true. Um, and yeah, when I think about like expressing anger, I think that like if at any moment I'm going to feel like if it, it's about expressing anger to an individual, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm taking notes on what you're saying about no the problem. immediate, productive, useful, and directed mm-hmm. appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about the context of someone doing something that you're that stimulates anger for you, mm-hmm. and it's feeling useful and necessary to express that anger. And I guess I think, like in many contexts, it would be like so long as you are not um, engaging in like um, inherently kind of intimidating behavior. Sure. Harmful behavior of any kind, probably. Yeah, and so long as you have an awareness of sort of, like, your maybe social positioning in that moment, like, if you Mm -hmm. are, like, a white person with a person of color, or if you are, like, a masculine person with, like, a woman or a femme person, like, as long as, so for me, it's like, if I'm going to approach a man, let's say a white man, about anger that I feel toward him, I'm going to feel comfortable enough to be like, hey, dude, I'm feeling really pissed off right now uh, because of this thing that you did, Mm -hmm. and, and expressing in a way that I mean I'm do I'm, I'm still potentially doing you know I've trained myself to sort of respond in a pretty nonviolent way mm-hmm. and that is part of it part of NBC could look like hey man I'm feeling really pissed off right now because I really I have a need for safety mm-hmm. and uh, you almost hitting me in your car while sure. I'm riding my motorbike really hinges on my sense of safety mm-hmm. So can you please? <laughs> in this case, I think it was actually um, not. You know, I'm not even going to share right. who, who it happened to be that was driving because it's irrelevant to right. the driving behavior. But it wasn't a white man. I'll just say that. Yeah, much. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's which complicates things. Yeah, um, and I mean, in fairness, this person 
like definitely waved when they realized that they had like almost killed me and I was like oh that makes it better thanks for that it's and, an and it does it does yeah it's an acknowledgement but also in the moment it definitely did not feel like it made it better it was like you almost kill me and wave like how is that <laughs> that's that's all you got that's all you got yeah mm-hmm. I definitely got the feeling that they they like smiled and like genuinely didn't didn't seem to get the gravity of the situation as many non-motorcyclists don't mm. when they merely sideswipe a motorcycle mm. fortunately it was positioned very well in the lane i was paying attention i was using my peripheral vision i managed to break and get out of the way of the vehicle in mm. time and i was like ah you know another day riding a motorcycle i almost died yeah that's pretty that's pretty common for the motorbike mm-hmm. or at least almost got into an accident because i was wearing good gear so right yeah yeah i don't know that was just sort of like a bit of a thought around like just it's just trying to figure out like when is it okay, when is it appropriate, and yeah, like mm-hmm. you wrote down those things like mm-hmm. if you can have a quick enough conversation with yourself to figure out whether it is like is this directed appropriately, is it useful? Yeah, and and yeah, just giving myself more permission to feel angry when it is, especially those things, but also just as a human experiencing a feeling. More than anything, I think the most important thing is to just I de- like acknowledge that like feelings are facts. And that if you're feeling it, it's real and deserves space. And yeah. to give yourself space to feel what you're feeling and don't yeah. suppress it. And if you're emotionally mature enough, you can identify um, what what's underneath of, of yeah. the anger and do some work around that. And, yeah. I like that statement that feelings are facts. Yeah, um, that's a Marshall Rosenberg. Oh, is it really? Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's great. I don't know how I passed that one up. <laughs> feelings are facts. For people who don't know, we're talking about Marshall Rosenberg and his book, Nonviolent Communication, a lot, because I think we both really like that book. It's such a great personally accountable framework. So when you're trying yeah. to, like, uncouple, am I just entitled to this feeling right now? Mm. Like, what? how much of this is me and how much of this has anything to do with the outside world? It's yeah. so good at painstakingly sorting those feelings out. And I found it to be a useful guide at yeah. interpreting the world and figuring out what's internal and... Is it reasonable for me to be feeling this? The answer, as long as you're feeling an internal feeling, is mm-hmm. always yes. Well, and what it does ultimately is it gives you, yeah, it gives you a framework and a strategy for expressing um, your feelings and your needs in a way that is ideally going to elicit as little defense as possible from mm-hmm. the receiver, and that mm-hmm. the way that we are um, instructed to communicate our feelings and needs in our current um, culture and society does exactly what we want it to do mm-hmm. it get it put it, it pushes people further away and it creates defensiveness mm-hmm. you know a simple example that i'll use sometimes is if you have a roommate that doesn't do their dishes <laughs> and you, they come home and you say you know like you're such a fucking slob like you right. never do your dishes mm-hmm. and i'm sick of living in this pigsty alternatively you could say this would be the non-balanced approach you would say hey um in the last week you've made food three times and uh, you've not cleaned your dishes and they've, you know, they've made a scene. That's, that's the observation. Yeah, that's the observation. And now it's you're like, communicating a feeling. Yeah, and I feel frustrated. Um, and then you can go straight into the need. I have a need for a clean and tidy home. And I'm, I'm wondering if in the future you could clean up your dishes right after you make your meal. Um, how does that feel for you? Yeah, and then yeah. from that request, you go into some sort of negotiation or compromise. Exactly. But yeah, NBC is that amazing first part that just sort of encapsulates a request for action in yeah. a in a really communicative, mm-hmm. disarming fashion because mm-hmm. it's not about I'm judging you for these things. It's yeah. about here's what I'm seeing, here's how it's affecting me, and here's what I would like. What do you think about all those things? Yeah. 
it's very like personally focused yeah and another way to approach something like that would even be to start by just asking the person what's going on for them totally you know like how have you been like and come from a place of genuine curiosity like don't like i've had managers when walking when going into a disciplinary meeting ask me like how have you been doing like what's what's going on for you and it doesn't feel authentic <laughs> yeah it's like okay well that's good to know so we're disciplining you <laughs> it's like that was you weren't going to do anything useful with that information why did you ask me yeah, yeah. so if you are going to ask someone make sure it is from a place of genuine curiosity and that you take time to sort of like suss it out with them until that conversation's finished before going on to have a different one yeah great all great information. Um, I like how you took the question about how do I how do I process through anger and made it about well first let's find a safe space to explore it in. Hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I feel like we answered all the questions I came with. Cool. Do you have any advice that you would offer as like closing advice to people who are struggling with anger? Get help. Um, you don't have to do it alone. There's so many different resources for processing anger and for people who struggle with anger. Um, don't be afraid to take advantage of those resources. Like, get involved in, like, an anger management group. I've personally never been a part of one, but I've heard really good things about them. The organization that I volunteer for has an anger group, and apparently it's really, really beneficial. So, yeah, like, let people into your process and, and, and get the help that you need and deserve. And also just remember that, you know, your, your feelings are, are valid. Your anger is not bad or wrong. You're just needing to learn new skills to process and respond to that anger. Um, and that underneath of that anger is a lot of gold that will be useful for your ongoing sort of emotional journey. Um, and it's all it all sounds pretty intimidating and intense, but if you slowly chip away at it, you'll notice your quality of life improve greatly. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And that's what I intend to do in future. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to listen to Intimate Interactions. I appreciate you. The intro music was Lullaby for Democracy, and the outro was Ladies Take Me With You, both by Dr. Turtle, published under Creative Commons. I want to offer a special thank you to each and every Patreon supporter who helps me with show costs, food, and bills every month. I see you helping make the show. And if you haven't gotten the chance yet, you can go check out patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Thanks for your time, and talk to you soon. Appendix. Remember those learning resources I promised you? Here they are. Nonviolent Communication is a book you'll hear me mention often. It's Marshall Rosenberg's needs-based framework for relating to others. I consider it essential for practicing non-monogamy. I heard the audiobook version first and found it invaluable in establishing a healthy sense of boundaries, and it's helped me out in more than one of my relationships with partners reading through it and gaining a deeper understanding of themselves and our relationship together. Childhood Disrupted, How Your Biography Becomes Your Biology and How You Can Heal, helped me find some meaning and camaraderie in my early traumatic experiences. If you've experienced any trauma before the age of 18, I'd encourage you to get the book. It goes over research connecting physical and psychological issues and suggests strategies on healing. Again, I prefer the audiobook version. The Body Keeps Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma is also on my reading list, but I haven't gotten to it yet, unlike the others. It has over 100 reviews at 5 stars, so if you are looking to do some deep work and you want some additional reading, especially on traumatic stress, it's probably a good buy. Again, there's an audiobook version. Full disclosure, if you do decide to work on yourself and get a copy using the affiliate links provided, it does help me out. All products are identical and the same price. Disclaimer. 
I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks. I'm open to being called in. Chances are in six months, I'm going to look back aghast and see something horribly problematic I'm not proud of. I'm certainly not perfect, and I'm trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. Along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically that of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations.